Hi, I'm Dr. Samantha Vinokor Meinrat, the Senior Director of Knowledge, Ideas, and Learning at the Jewish Education Project. Welcome to Our Jewish Futures, a new series within Adapting, stemming from our agency's work to envision the Jewish future. Our Jewish Futures brings together educational practitioners, thought leaders, and visionaries from inside and outside of the world of Jewish education. We're talking about what the world of Jewish education can be and taking steps to move the needle in that direction. For more information, check out our website. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Jewish Future, a special feature of the Adapting Podcast. I'm Dr. Samantha Vinokor Meinrad, and I am honored to be here today with Tahila Bendan. Tahila is the Deputy Director of Talma and oversees recruitment and onboarding for the organization's teaching fellowships in Israel, as well as communications, operations, fundraising, and development. She is also the founder of the Kfar, which provides virtual content, instruction, and coaching for both Hebrew learners and language teachers. She has several years of classroom and online teaching experience and loves all things Hebrew and language acquisition related. Tahila holds a BA in African and African American Studies, an MS in Early Childhood Services, and an MBA level certificate from the START Fellowship, a joint program of the Glean Network and Columbia Business School. Tahila is currently completing an additional MBA in teaching Hebrew as a second language. And when she's not working or doing homework, you can find her reading, baking, or traveling. Tahila, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Obviously, everyone just heard your extensive bio with all of these different responsibilities, hats, and roles that you're holding. But I would love to hear from you directly to understand a little bit more of what your journey was that brought you to Jewish education in general, and specifically to this passion for Hebrew language and second language acquisition. Sure. So I would say the passion was sparked at home from my parents. I really have to give it to them. So my family is from Jamaica. And for my parents, it was really important to learn Hebrew, to have that sort of link to our past and our heritage. So they learned Hebrew before anybody even thought of me. And then so we started to speak Hebrew at home when we were young. Once I started school, I went to public school, it sort of kind of fell to the wayside. I mean, I learned how to read and like we talked a little bit, but we sort of switched almost completely into English. And so I never really like connected with Hebrew that much until I read this book called The Ethiopian Jews of Israel. And I was fascinated because I didn't, I didn't know about Ethiopian Jews. I didn't know that there was this whole other world of Jews of color and black Jews that existed. And so I was fascinated and I reached out to the author, Len Lyons, and I told him like, hey, I was at the Macaulay Honors College at Lehman College and they offered us a stipend to do like whatever we wanted as our senior project. So I said, I have this money. I want to go to Israel and I want to do something in the community. And so he connected me with this organization named Shiluvim and Haifa that worked with helping Ethiopian Israelis or new Olim integrate into society. And so with his help and with that connection with the organization, I went to Israel for my first time the summer before my senior year, it was 2009. And I spent two months volunteering as an English teacher at an Ethiopian community center in Haifa. And it was there that I really realized, like, one, my Hebrew was nowhere near as good as I thought it was. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but that's where it was like sparked, like, oh, okay, I actually really want to take this language seriously. And I actually really, really want to learn Hebrew. And so when I came back to the States, that was sort of like that catalyst to me really taking it seriously. And so I started listening to music and I would start keeping a diary and I hired like teachers from all over the internet and would like talk to anyone who would talk to me, watch anything I could watch. 
And, you know, after a couple of years, I started teaching and the rest, I guess, as they say, is history. It's so interesting because I feel like in so many ways, when we talk about Hebrew education, especially at this moment in Jewish education, there are a few different hats that it wears, that there's synagogue Hebrew. So, you know, just learning more of decoding rather than necessarily speaking or any level of fluency. We talk about camp Hebrew and this world of like Hebrewish, where there are certain words that kind of make sense. Um, although native Israelis are often just like, Wait, why do you think that this word is the correct one in that space? And then there's actual spoken Hebrew. And I feel like a lot of people have the experience of your later part of your journey where having gone to Israel, you then had this inspiration to want to continue. But the former part where you were speaking Hebrew, however well, however fluently, without necessarily that Israel connection existing, is it a little bit of like a chicken and egg situation? So like as you're doing this work with both learners of Hebrew and leaders in this Hebrew education space, where do you find that people are coming from when they're exploring what it means to access Hebrew as American Jews? I think, you know, you brought up like there's like the synagogue Hebrew and you learn for a bar about mitzvah. And then when that's done, it's kind of done and you don't really connect with it anymore. I think that sometimes when it comes to Hebrew and us living here in the U.S., it can be hard for Jewish folks to kind of see like, what's the point? Like, why do I need it? Is sort of, you know, what I hear a lot. Like, it's not really important. And plus in Israel, you know, people speak English and I get that. But I think there's something really powerful about language and it really helps you make connections that you otherwise like would not be able to make if you didn't have some level of proficiency in the language. Like there are sometimes I watch things on Netflix, I'll watch a show in Hebrew and I want to share it with someone else. And of course you can have the subtitles on and you can listen to it dubbed in English, but it's not the same thing. You really get so much more richness of the culture and of the heritage. And you get so much more of a deeper understanding when you have a certain level of proficiency in the language. And so for me, I think when the question comes up of like, why do I need this? I think as Jews, it's incredibly important because it does tie you, not just if you think about, you know, ancient history and, and the Tanakh and all of that, but it ties you very much to the present. Hebrew is very much alive and important and currently presently being used. And so being able to have that experience when you travel to Israel, but then also to be able to experience Israel and the culture outside of the country through media, through whether it's social media or movies, or even seeing how news is presented in other countries. I think having the language really creates the bridges that are necessary to build and deepen relationships. And so even if you're not ever planning to live in Israel, I think just being Jewish and having that connection, knowing Hebrew is just super, super important. It's so valuable. It's so interesting because I think it speaks to the Israel piece. And then I also, I always have this voice in the back of my mind in terms of overall Jewish peoplehood that I remember being in a seminar years ago. I think it might have been a first job out of college type situation where it was part of a global network. And the comment was made, the only reason we're doing this in English is because of the Americans. And which was, oh my goodness. Um, but the only reason we're doing this in English is because of the Americans that the Jews who've come from all of the other parts of the world could engage in Hebrew. Now, I don't know if that was actually true necessarily, but conceptually, this idea of Jewish language and Jewish connectivity and that all of these Jews from other parts of the world, Hebrew had been prioritized in a different way and that it was just us, so to speak, that were keeping the conversation from happening in Hebrew was 
in the moment, I don't know that it registered in the same way, but over time was really provocative of am I missing something in terms of overall Jewish experience by lacking Hebrew fluency. It was a a pivot moment. And I think when we talk about Jewish education at this particular time, there are so many competing priorities. There is such a limited amount of time when a family, a learner opts to engage in Jewish education. And we want to fill that time with so many different pieces, including Hebrew, including prayer, including Israel, including history, current events, peoplehood, values, like one could go on and on. And I think part of this podcast for me has been just seeing what lights each different guest up in that regard and is fascinating. So I'm wondering, as we think about remixing Jewish education, what do you see in particular as the role of Hebrew and where does it belong in this overall landscape for 21st century Jewish learners and their families? I think that's a really great question. And like you said, there are a ton of competing priorities and we can't do everything all at once as much as we would love to. But I think the special thing about languages and with Hebrew in particular is that you can still incorporate all of these competing priorities because a language is a tool, right? So you don't have to look at Hebrew as, well, this is one subject and then we have Tanakh and then we have, you know, Yahadut and everything else. Hebrew can be used to deliver or teach all of those various things. And so if we even just step a little bit out of the Jewish context, I had the opportunity to teach Hebrew at Hebrew Language Academy or HLA2, which is a Hebrew language charter school. And Hebrew is taught every day, starting in kindergarten. So as the students increase their proficiency in the language, they're able to learn not just Hebrew in Hebrew, but they can learn science in Hebrew. They can learn math in Hebrew. They can learn all of the different subjects in Hebrew the way that you would do it in English. So I think a key thing to do would be to start with Hebrew as young as possible. And again, it doesn't have to be its own thing. It can be that we're speaking Hebrew during recess. We're speaking Hebrew during lunch. We're speaking Hebrew during all of these other sort of fun activities, incorporating it as often as we can. And then that'll allow students to sort of develop that proficiency naturally, even if we're not necessarily spending as much time with formal Hebrew learning as we would like. Finding ways to incorporate it as much as possible, I think, would be a really, really good first step. One marker of success would just be a love of learning and just like a joyous response to Hebrew, wanting to learn Hebrew and also feeling confident even if you're not perfect, right? I am finishing up my master's, Bezrat Hashem, I'll be done in less than three months. I have my master's in teaching Hebrew as a second language and I'm still always learning. I had a Hebrew teacher up until, like a formal Hebrew teacher up until about a year ago and as soon as I finish this degree and have a little bit more time, I'm going to go back into Hebrew lessons. So really loving the the language and finding joy in the journey and knowing that like fluency is not this point that you get to. And then it's like, great, I've learned Hebrew and I'm done. It's this openness to constantly be learning and also feeling confident and comfortable that you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to know everything a hundred percent of the time. And that's fine because I don't know every word in English and I've been speaking English my whole life. So having that same mindset that like, you're always going to grow and you're always going to learn and being really open to that process and really like wanting that to happen, I think is really important. And that's like another measure of success that you're open to making mistakes and really comfortable in the learning process. And another I would say is being able to function. So really like functioning in the language, which again, you're not going to be accurate 100% of the time. You may not necessarily be fluent and that's fine. But if you can 
go to a restaurant and order what you want or ask questions about the meal or make substitutions, that's a mark of success. I needed to make a key. I, I spent a year living in Israel as an English teacher with the Tama Fellowship. And I had like an issue with one of my keys and I needed to go get a key made. And I didn't know the word for like, I needed a copy of the key. I knew how to say copy, like copy from the board, but it wasn't the same word. But I had enough Hebrew to ask, hey, I need another key. How do I say copy? And from that experience, I learned it. And so being able really just to function in Hebrew and get your needs met, ask the questions that you need to ask and communicate on a basic level, I would say is a measure of success. Again, we're not looking for like every single person to be 100% fluent, whatever that means in the language, but like be open to the process, enjoy the learning and be able to function on a, on a basic level. Absolutely. No, and I feel like all of those are, again, they're tangible goals, but they're also moving targets in the sense of it can mean something different for everyone, depending upon the context that you're in and what you're hoping to achieve. As educators, I feel like so many of us also are still figuring out what the Hebrew space is. So how are you empowering educators, whether it's in day schools, part-time Jewish education spaces, Jewish education altogether to figure out how to grapple with Hebrew and introduce it in ways that can feel accessible if we haven't had those learning opportunities or taken advantage of them in our own upbringing so far? So I've been really inspired by, I don't know if I would call it a movement, but there's a theory behind language acquisition called the comprehensible input theory. And there are a lot of groups and a lot of really amazing folks, not necessarily working in Hebrew or in Jewish language or, or Jewish education spaces, but they're doing a lot of work around teaching languages in ways that reflect what the research tells us about how we acquire languages. So if we think about our own experiences, I say all the time, I took French for four years, never got a grade below 95. I don't speak French. <laughs> like I could conjugate verbs and I knew all of the grammar and all of that, but I have no like functional ability in French. So a lot of the ways in which I approach teaching Hebrew and how I help, I work mostly with um, folks who teach Hebrew privately or teach other languages privately. And so I really approach it from a research-based standpoint and looking how can we make Hebrew comprehensible in order to allow folks to acquire it. Because we don't just want to teach about the language. We don't just want to teach verbs and pronouns and random vocabulary lists. We want to present Hebrew in a way that folks can understand it because that's what helps them acquire it. And once you've acquired a language, you can use it, right? If it's just, okay, I'm memorizing this list of words and then I'm taking this test and then we're moving on, that's not helping anyone. It looks good on paper. Paper, but we're not getting that functional ability, it's not happening. So really approaching it from a place of how can we make Hebrew accessible and understandable. And again, whether that's using a lot of body language, incorporating a lot of images, using tons of repetition, making stories out of it so that students are really, really engaged, finding different ways like that in order to make Hebrew accessible and comprehensible that will help the acquisition process. I love that. So you were talking about second language acquisition in general and your experiences with French. I can chime in with like the failure of many, many years of A pluses in Spanish. But I'd love to hear how do you see the challenges and the opportunities in the work of particularly Hebrew language or second language acquisition in general as universal? Like how does this fit into a broader picture? And then what in particular can we learn and hone in on as it pertains to Hebrew and the connection to Jewish pride and identity? So the universalism particularism, whichever way you want to go first. Okay, so we'll start with the universal. So I think when it comes to teaching languages and you get a lot of students who are just like, why? Why do I need this? What's the point? Everybody speaks English. So I think one of the challenges is really just 
helping students understand all of the benefits that come from learning another language, regardless of what that language is. There's a host of cognitive benefits that I think are really well documented. And it just, again, it opens up a whole nother world of content and information and people that you can connect with when you have another language. Also, just the way that languages are taught, those challenges are really universal. You have those experiences in Spanish, and I had them in French. And, you know, in Israel, a lot of folks have that experience when they're trying to learn English, which is that it's taught in such a rigid way that doesn't really reflect what we know about how we actually learn languages. And so there's a lot of emphasis on grammar and a lot of emphasis on, you know, conjugating verbs and all of these charts and lists, but ultimately we're not producing functional speakers in the language. So I think those are are two of the main universal challenges that I would say. I think in terms of the Jewish community and speaking about Jewish education, I would love to see more of an emphasis or more of this sort of awareness of the importance of Hebrew as a living and breathing and existing language, as, like I said, a, a connector to Israel and as a bridge to Israelis and also Jewish communities all over the world, right? Because we know that we exist all over the world. And, and in many cases, Hebrew is that unified language. We have that in common, even if we have other languages among us, whether it's English or Yiddish or Arabic, depending on where you come from or Spanish or whatever it is, we all have that Hebrew as a unifying factor. We all have the Torah as a unifying factor. And so I think really highlighting that, but again, not staying with Hebrew as this like ancient language of the past, but it's very, very much a language of the present and of the future. And so being able to communicate when we're in Israel or being able to consider information and content that comes from Israel to us outside wherever it is that we're located, I think is super important. So really just highlighting the joys and highlighting all of the, the benefits and the information and the relationships and connections that exist with Hebrew, I think is really important. I think it's also fascinating that Hebrew, whether or not this is what one would want, is automatically associated with the Jewish people. So when you're out and about, I remember people coming back from whether it's teen trips to Israel or family trips to Israel or birthright trips, whatever one might have gone on, and you come back with a Yankees shirt written in Hebrew letters or whatever your school is. I did undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh and Hillel made Pittsburgh in Hebrew shirts. And there's something to be said about the pride that comes with maybe you're not necessarily someone who would wear distinctively Jewish clothing. Maybe you're not someone who a kippah or a ritual garment is part of how you would display your Judaism publicly. But Hebrew is this really interesting bridge place where it's not a religious way of expressing oneself. But it's distinctly Jewish, or at least people think that it is. And I can say if I saw you walking up the street wearing the name of your school on a sweatshirt written in Hebrew, I would have a moment of oh, eye contact or I know what that says. And there's an excitement that comes with that peoplehood or pride connection. I also think then there's like the struggle of, especially in a world where there's an uptick of anti-Semitism, keeping our voices down not necessarily speaking Hebrew publicly or displaying it with such like a loud and proud kind of way. So I'm wondering, have you seen any differences in people's willingness to access or display Hebrew as the world has continued to evolve in these ways? I can't say that I have. I think I I have seen or at least heard from folks who were a little bit hesitant to wear things that are visibly, I guess, Jewish in a more religious sense, like maybe a Star of David they might not wear or a kippah they might not wear. I can't say 
that I've heard or felt sort of maybe a resistance to Hebrew. I could definitely understand that as a concern, but it's not something that either I've personally experienced or thought about or, you know, said maybe I don't want to wear Hebrew. I'm going to stand out wherever I go, so I'm going to wear whatever I want. Um, and, and it just is what it is. I would understand it, but it's not something that I would say that that I've come across. So this podcast series is really looking at the Jewish future, re-envisioning what it can look like, how we, particularly at this pivot point coming out of COVID, Gen Zers really stepping into their own in so many different ways, so many different transitions in terms of how we gather, how we come together, why we're doing anything that we're doing. So many just, again, different moving pieces. I'm wanting to really explore and to hear if you could re-envision Jewish education for the future based on these countless umpteen realities of today. What would it look like for tomorrow, both in terms of Hebrew, where that would be, and overall what you would envision for today's and tomorrow's learners? I think if I'm reimagining or envisioning what a Jewish educational future could look like, for me, the number one piece would be incredibly inclusive. As we know, we're incredibly diverse. We exist all over the world. And yet there's still very much an emphasis on one look of Judaism or one type of Judaism when we talk about what Jewish education is and how it looks. And so I would love to see not just diversity from a racial standpoint, but diversity from a cultural and an ethnic standpoint, diversity in terms of levels of, of religiosity or religiousness. Levels of, of observance, let's call it. Levels of observance. So really doing a much better job of being inclusive. And it's not so much being inclusive because we're, we're here, right? We're already included. But doing a better job of making sure that everyone is reflected in education, regardless of whether our communities reflect that same level of diversity. So it shouldn't just be, for example, that we're talking about Mizrahi Jews if there's a Mizrahi kid in our class. Like even if the class is 100% Ashkenazi, they should still have that same breadth of diversity and that same exposure and knowledge and understanding about what Judaism is and how broad it is and how it can look in different places and what those different practices are and all of that. Um, so I would love to see much, much more inclusivity. I would, of course, love to see Hebrew um, prioritized from pre-K all the way up. And again, even if we're not able to teach entirely in Hebrew all day or do, you know, split days, even even if we're just incorporating it so that it's just sort of a natural part of who we are as Jews, regardless of where we are, where we're from, that there is Hebrew there. I think I would love to see that as well. I really love, I think one of the good things, if I can say that, that came out of the pandemic. And I started teaching Hebrew online in 2015. So I was already online before, you know, all of this happened, but so many great innovations have come out of the pandemic in ways in which that we can, you know, use the internet, which can be a really wild and unfriendly place, use it in really amazing ways. Um, and it's allowed us to make connections with folks all over the world and do some really amazing work. So I would love to see us continue to sort of rethink what education looks like outside of the classroom, right? Or outside of the physical classroom. And how can we use the internet? How can we use these virtual spaces to expose our kids to the world, right? To literally the world, whether we're doing virtual field trips or we're connecting them with classrooms in Israel or in other places in the world, really using the internet 
to expose them to the world, to really provide opportunities that we couldn't do previously just in a classroom. So those are the three main things that I would say, really being inclusive and and showing off the diversity and all of the different diversities that exist, because it's not just diversity in terms of color. So all of the diversity that exists, really incorporating Hebrew, because it is a unifying language and it's, it's ours. And it's really great for us to be able to provide that to our students and also really looking outside of the box outside of that classroom box and using the internet as ways to expose students to content and folks from all over the world. Yes, to all of the above. I'm also wondering, you had said earlier that a lot of the educators who you're working with fall into the category of independent educators. So I'm also wondering in terms of how you're re-envisioning Jewish education of the future, how does it fall into the buckets of institutional and then also in these independent spaces? And if you could speak a little bit more to what you're seeing in terms of developments in those areas. So I think what I loved about teaching independently and why I moved into that space. And what I'm seeing with a lot of teachers who also move into that space is you have a ton of freedom. You're not boxed in. You have more freedom to be able to work with the students that you have, meet them where they are, and really design materials and content around their needs. And so you can have a class of students and the students can really be from all over the country or all over the world. And you can have these students together, learning together, and you're really not constrained by maybe, you know, standards that you have at your school that require you to move at a certain pace, even if the pace doesn't really meet the needs of your learners, or that require you to use certain materials, even if there are other materials or outside curriculum that might meet their needs better. And so I think for me, if I'm thinking about like online education or independent education and, and transforming that, I feel like it's it's constantly transforming. And the reason why a lot of us are working independently and even if we're still, you know, working in Jewish day schools and we have these opportunities outside, I think it's because it allows us to really think outside of the box and we're not limited in terms of the resources that we can access in terms of the students that we're able to reach. We really have a lot more a lot more freedom and a lot more access, I think, outside of traditional institutions in a lot of ways. And I think it's really exciting, again, for us to explore both the rise of this world of independent Jewish education, and then for those who are still within these institutional spaces, how do we take these best practices and explore what does it mean to offer student-centered, one-on-one learning that you know meets the needs of each learner wherever they are on their Jewish journeys, while still having those community spaces, whether it's congregational schools, day schools, etc. I'm hoping as we look towards the Jewish future, that we're not necessarily in any spaces looking at a zero-sum game, but are able to really have this web of opportunities to connect each learner and each really family with whatever's going to make sense for them to have these thriving Jewish experiences. Right. Because it definitely doesn't have to be an either-or. It can be that, you know, we have teachers who work in day schools, and then they also do an after-school program that's outside of the school. And maybe they don't do one-on-one. Maybe they have a small group of students that they work with after school. And so I think you can't go wrong with having a lot of different opportunities, right? It just gives you a lot more choices and you can be a little bit more deliberate and more tailored into what works best for you. So I always want to be mindful that we are both a podcast full of educators as guests and also both educators, educational stakeholders, and lovers of Jewish education as listeners. So I always want to provide teaching opportunities you choose to take advantage. So is there a quote or a text or something else, TV 
CD broadly defined that inspires you in the work that you do that you'd like to share or teach with us today? There is a quote that I'd love to share. I don't know where it came from. I was searching for it, but it says, our vision is only actionable if we share it. Without sharing, it's just a figment of our imagination. And I love that because sometimes we have ideas and these ideas, we sort of keep them in our heads because we might think that they might be too big or too unrealistic or whatever it is. And I think sharing these ideas is how things happen, right? Like we're having these conversations, we're sharing all of our thoughts on where we would like to see Jewish education go and what are the things that we would like to transform. And so I think that's like the key. That's where everything starts. It starts with the sharing, getting it out of your head. And then it goes from just being a figment of your imagination into something that maybe we can now turn into an action plan. So that was something that when I saw it, it really resonated with me and just sort of encouraged me to share. Like if you have an idea, share it. If there's something that you want to see done differently, share it. That's always the start. I love that. And I think it really speaks again to this work of remixing that we're so excited to be engaged in that when we're at this pivot point or precipice of what the next steps look like, nothing's crazy, so to speak. And uh, we have these opportunities to share and to try different ideas and to put things out there. And we're so excited to continue and really seed conversations across the board in terms of what that can look like. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your love of all things Hebrew. For others who might want to continue the conversation with you, where can they find you? And of course, we will link everything in the notes for this episode. My website is thekefar.com, T-H-E-K-E-F-A-R.com. And you can find me at Tehila. My boss likes to say the law. So T-H-E-L-A-H to help you remember how to spell it at thekefar.com. And this was amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me. A great conversation. Always great talking to you. Appreciate it. Amazing. Have a great rest of your day. And to all of our listeners, thank you for being here. Thanks again to all of you for listening. This podcast has been produced by the Jewish Education Project as part of our series on the Jewish future. It was recorded and edited by NJV Media, LLC. The Jewish Education Project is a proud partner of UJA Federation of New York, who we are honored to have support us in all of our work. Wishing everyone a wonderful day.